You're listening to Two Guys Talking Wine with Michael Pincus and Andre Prue. Andre, I'd like to introduce uh, the wine that we are we are drinking this evening. Okay. It's uh, Stratus uh, 2001 Cabernet Sauvignon. Okay. Um, I, I'm not sure how I, I came across it. It was just sitting in the cellar. And um, the sad part is that um, I, th- I think this would have been a beauty bottle of wine. Like okay. It, like it really would be. Uh, but there's a bugginess to it. Yeah, just a, just a little bit. A little bit of ladybug. Yeah, got that peanut shell. But here's the sad part. Uh, that may be the case, but we've still drank half the bottle. So um, still holding on to its fruit. This is still uh, is, this, is this the first vintage for Stratus? I want to think it is. So 2001, I was still in high school. Mm. This has just got it's just a little bit of that peanut shell. Um, it is it is a little bit on the sad side, but it is it is still drinkable because it is a little bit of an Ontario history. So, um, well, the fruit notes are still holding on. It's just got that like layer of. I I think it would be it would be better. It would be bigger. It would be um, a little more interesting if it didn't have that undercurrent of of pyrazine. Okay, fair enough. But, so coming to that, yes, I thought uh, oh, the reading glasses have come out. Yeah, the reading glasses come out because now. Uh, we, we always ask for ideas for podcasts, and Greg Roach wrote us a whole email here with first one, off, two, three, four, five, first six. First off, Greg, seven. thank you for listening. Thank you. Thank you for your emails. Thank you for reading our newsletters. And uh, so there's seven points he's got, six, six points he's got here. Yeah. And I think each one could really be a podcast on their own. So let's see how far we get with this, and maybe it's a part two if it gets too long. But Yeah, I think, I think we can rock it through it pretty quickly. Oh. A lot of them demand straightforward answers. Okay, so here we go. Uh, okay, so you mentioned any ideas for future podcasts. Here's one. I always wonder how do specific wines get in front of you to be reviewed? Okay. Okay, so point one. How do you get the wines? Do they send them to you unsolicited? So this is where we're going right behind the, the curtain, right? Oh, yeah. We're right behind the curtain. So wines get in front of me in a various number of ways. Because I, I live in Toronto, uh, I'm always welcome to receiving unsolicited bottles. And there are a few wineries. I don't need to, to name them that send out regular media mail outs. And I do sort of have a personal policy with my own website, especially andrewinereview.ca, because I do contribute to various outlets, um, that if a winery is taking the time to send me a bottle, that if I like it, I try to write about it. So, uh, yeah, I do the uh, the same thing. Um, unsolicited stuff. Uh, you don't necessarily get a review, but I definitely do try it. Yep. Uh, I try to do an Instagram post, because I do them in larger tastings. I don't know how you do them as far as tastings go. Yep. But I do them in uh, batches of, let's say two cases worth let's say 24 wines yeah and then i'll post a picture of these are the wines i tried and i usually bring the the top five up to the four and you can kind of see the rest of them in the back and then whatever i like will sooner or later end up in the uh, on the website um i try to visit as many wineries in niagara as possible and uh i do know that it is something that will be addressed later on in the email i do have some favorites that i visit from time to time but the favorites that I visit have nothing to do with the journalism as much as they do with the fact that they're consistently making good wines and I'm excited to get there. There's 150 wineries in Niagara and I live oh, in Toronto. Yeah. yeah. 
Uh, and I try to hit as many of them as possible. I try to keep my eyes open for new places. Yep. Um, Andre has a, um, a tasting of Cloudsley that's going to be posted recently. That's a new winery on the block. Uh, and I just try to, be, once again, because I live in Toronto, take a look at what's appearing on wine lists in the city, see what the sommeliers in the city are drinking, and, and see what other people are liking and trying to understand if there's something that I'm missing. Ba- basically, I'm, I'm trying to figure out what people are drinking and why they're drinking them and if they're good wines, which is how they end up on my website. Well, li- living in Niagara, uh, I always thought, oh, okay, I'll, I'll get out to you know wineries all the time. Sadly, I, I find I got to wineries more when I lived in Toronto. Now that I have a house in uh, in St. Catharines, uh, I, I go out less often, which is really weird because you okay. think, oh, I could do that anytime, right? Yep. So uh, this summer I tried to get out to a few more places, made yep. some appointments, things like that. Because I do like to uh, to taste with the winemaker if I can because I, yep. I, you always have questions. Yep. When you drink them at home, yeah, they can send you a text sheet. But it's not all the time on the text sheet does it have the question you really, really want to know. And I think that's, that's the difference in yours and, and my approach is for me, my bottom line is what does it taste like? And I'm happy to write the review and talk to the winemaker after to find out. And like the tech sheets are great, but even then, uh, an average consumer doesn't care as much as... Uh, I, always, I always find blends really interesting. I like to find how much oak is being used. I'm not so big into the pH. A lot of people go, oh, what's the pH? You know what? I, I don't, don't even think... say a lot of people. Yeah, wine nerds say yeah. that. Yeah, I don't think I don't think people care. All right, what's our next question? I, th- I think we covered that adequately. Yeah. Certainly better than we did warm and cool climate wine. Yeah, well, for sure. How do you go to the? Oh, sorry, not how. I was reading the first question. Okay. Do you go to the winery or to a specific winery? You want to focus on what they have. That doesn't even make sense. Do you go to the winery or to a specific winery you want to focus on? what they have okay that maybe we should have you know edited some of these questions so that i knew what i was writing reading but well, I, that was your job. let me take a look okay you see let's see the, yeah. the whole statler and waldorf thing yeah does it sound like do, do you, you go to the winery or to a specific winery you want to focus on what they have okay that one's difficult let's let's do my best to to, to answer this um no well, not necessarily when i when i show up at a winery i just want to see what's great there um i did a tasting at organized crime earlier this year that i went to because of a piece i wrote in quench and how great their pipe down was which is uh an entry level bordeaux style blend all five but that's how you found that's how you found out about it and that you yep. wanted to go to organize and then i so went yes, there when you want to focus on something yep you do a, a a request like when i do my canadian article for for quench yep yep i uh I, I do a big request for whatever i'm doing and then if something really sparks my interest then I'll go to the winery. I'll make an appointment. I'll go in. And often you'll show up at a winery. And, I mean, one of the things about organized crime is their Pinot Gris oh, is, is really spectacular. And but, I hate Pinot Gris. And that's not something I was expecting to find when I went to the winery. Or um, for Torontoist a few years ago, I wrote about ice wine in Prince Edward County. And only Exalted makes ice wine on a regular basis in Prince Edward County. That's a VQA, Prince Edward County. I mean, it's sort of a yes or no like, like, there's kind of a two approaches to it. Like, I try to show up to as many wineries as I can when they've got something new out just to see what's new. And that's kind of how I go about doing it. I, I, I subscribe to pretty much every uh, winery's email. Yep, me too. And uh, if they, you know, when they do their new release thing, I still have to get the Malivar. I want to try that Forgotten Rose Chardonnay. My wife's a big fan. So I got to get out there. Uh, so if Eric is listening, um, we've got to get to She's Malivar. She's not. Oh, she does occasionally. Just to make sure you're not swearing. Um, 
Okay, so uh, the next question is, this is a kind of a double edge. Do you buy a wine you want to review? I can say uh, squarely no. Um, not very much. No, I don't buy it uh, specifically for review. Yes. Um, I, I, I've purchased bottles because I'm looking forward to them and written a review, re review about them after the fact because yeah. they weren't sent to me unsolicited and or I've, or I've been to the winery I, I i made notes really like that wine and i go you know what i'd well, really like to try it again in five years i don't know if things last in your house five years some of them do i have a lot of bottles but I, I i like to um like, like like all kidding aside like i have a decent collection growing but the collection that i have in this house is all paid for i mean if the question is yeah you get a lot of samples sent to you as a writer especially once you have a bit of an audience growing for you but when you're tasting for review, you have a very different approach than when you're just drinking Drink. a bottle of wine for, yep, in, for enjoyment. Yeah. Um, and all, like you're, all, you're, wine, all wines that get sent to me don't get shoved into the cellar for no. later. It gets it gets reviewed. I actually have a special section within my house. And, and I know it, I know it sounds like we're sort of justifying getting the free bottles, but no, that's the case. Like once you start getting things sent to you, and especially once you're especially the Ontario wine industry, you really understand that the people who are running these places. These wineries are, for the most part, small business owners. And for them to send you a bottle, they're paying postage. Yep. They're pay paying postage to get it to Toronto. The cost of a bottle, like that's a bottle that they're not able to sell anymore. Correct. And the hope is when someone reads your website that they're going to want to buy that wine. So what do you do with the rest of the bottle, usually? With the rest of the bottle after I'm done reviewing yeah. it? Uh, if it's a good bottle, I'll enjoy it. Yep. Absolutely, I'll enjoy it. Um, if I'm opening several bottles at once, wine goes down the sink. Yeah, I, I hate to be there's rummies on Young Street that are probably crying. As I pour wine down the sink, but yep. uh, we, uh, I know that uh, that I save a couple for dinner that night that I think are going to be interesting, and, and Eric and I will will share them. Yep. Um, and she usually has a say. I'll usually I usually taste in my in my office, and I'll run one upstairs and I'll say, "What do you think of this?" And she'll go, "That's interesting. That is not." So anything she thinks is interesting, uh, because I taste at cellar temperature, uh, I'll yep. throw it in the fridge, and if it's a white, we'll have it for dinner or whatever. Like I know we any sparkling wine we taste together because she's kind of a slut for sparkling wine. I'm speechless. You, like, anyways, what's the next question? <laughs> Why do some wineries wines seem to pop up more than others in your reviews, and some not at all? That's a good question. I think that is a good question. Um, once again, living in Toronto, uh, it's access to product. If a winery takes the time to send me something. Uh, it's easier for me to get it in my glass and onto pen and paper if the bottle comes to me. I do spend a lot of time in Niagara. I'm down there at least once a month um, in the summer months, sometimes twice a month. And it, it just takes a lot of time to get to every winery. But, I mean, out of the 150 wineries in Niagara, there's definitely a top percentile. Let's just say a top 10 percentile. There's a bottom 10 percentile where, let's and just face it, the wines aren't that great. And then and there's, there's the 80 percentile in the middle. Yeah, there's that medium range. And in those 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 medium range ones, it can be really hit or miss. And yeah. when your time is valuable, like if it's only 20 visits a year that I'm down to Niagara, I need to make sure that I'm focusing on wineries that are producing consistently good product. So I think your, your approach is a little different when you write. Uh, you write uh, a whole... Uh, write up on a one winery and their wines. Correct? Yeah, I do that from yeah. time to time. Yeah. I, I do kind of uh, individual reviews as well, especially every Friday I post uh, two wines that are in vintages correct. from Ontario. Okay. 
So my approach is obviously I do a newsletter, and every uh, every two weeks I'll review another uh, six wines in each newsletter. So that's twelve a month. So uh, and those are usually anything that get you know really high scores, and then the rest of it uh, every three months or so I I post a, a larger post of the uh, of a of a massive amount of wines. It seems a massive. It's probably like 30, 40, 50 bottles of wine. Yep. Um, uh, that that did not make the newsletter. And um, the reason that certain wineries do is because certain certain wineries, when you taste through their portfolio, um, they, they they merit those those scores where other other wineries don't well, merit the higher scores. It so also comes down to the it. fact that when you're talking to talking about a winery like Peller or Trias or Vineland or Chateau des Charmes, I mean these wine. are wineries that that pop up, but not just a lot of what or Cave Spring. Let's. Yeah. I'm trying not to single anyone out in particular, but, but, yeah. but you're dealing with wineries that have very large portfolios, Correct. but not just very large portfolios, very large portfolios that are consistently of a high quality, yep. where when you're talking about a winery like Organized Crime, you only have seven, eight, nine wines to yep. taste. You're talking about a winery like 16 Mile that I love writing about on my website, but they only have two, three, four wines Correct. a year to, to write about. And the same thing with, like, say, Back 10 Cellars, right? Yep. They don't have that much wine. Um, or a winery like Light Hall, which... If, if I were to write about their wines, would consistently get incredibly high scores. But by the time you get to the winery, they're often sold out. So it's not like they need the, the, they need the coverage on my website. Which, which is usually a, a piss-off to me. It's, yep. it's By the time you get the thing out there, you're like, oh, it's sold out. So you're like, you send them a quick question like, you know, I didn't get the price. How much was it? They go, oh, it's, ah, it's sold out. out. Yep. You're like, well, look, I'm still going to write the review because I, I want you to at least have that. So, yep. Okay. Uh, are there beefs you have with specific wineries or winemakers that no matter how good they might be, you'll never review their products? I can honestly say for myself, no. I can say no as well. Uh, I I, uh, I have beefs with certain organizations that we have yep. here in Ontario uh, who bla- seem to like to blackball me a little bit. But um, I have no beefs with wineries. There are wineries that, as you said, there are some that, you know, rank in the top tier, and you're happy to go to them. The bottom tier, you're a little more hesitant to get to. Correct. I've always proposed something called the avoidance tour. Yeah. Those ones that, that basically it's you get together well, with a and bunch and of and friends and, and you and you talk about okay, which wineries do you think are in that bottom tier? Yeah. And let's go. Maybe they've changed. I know uh, a now defunct winery, Crown Bench, would have been in my bottom tier. They are no longer a winery, but yeah. they would have been in my bottom tier, and they would have been on my avoidance tour. Well, and it's a, it's an agricultural product. Things are different year in and year out, so it's definitely worth trying to re- And you and I try to visit as many places as we can. Um, Clausen Chase is a winery, for example, I haven't visited in a few years, and this past year the entire portfolio has completely turned around, and I'm happy to visit them again. Uh, any bias one way or another for whatever reasons? Well, we've talked about our personal biases before, and the thing is when we're writing about wine, you try to set the biases aside and... I know you, it's actually the nice thing about the fact that Michael and I worked together because the podcast is really the only thing that we do in cooperation. Our websites still operate very much independently and we taste most of our wines independently. But I know that from time to time, we will audit each other's scores because I'm a big fan of Chardonnay. I'm a big, uh, if it says Chardonnay on the label, 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 you want it on the table, table, table. 
But I'd like to think that I'm, I'm pretty critical of, of no, what Chardonnay is. Yeah, no, you're screw you, Michael. Not. You would bathe in anybody's Chardonnay. But That's not on. true. But go That's on. not true. That's Please. not true. Okay, but anyways, this is being transparent about biases, right? You and I will hold each other to account. I actually straight up went to iSellers this summer to taste their Cabernet Sauvignon because you scored their Cab Sauve five stars. Yep. And the amount of time we've spent talking about scoring, and we're not... We're not getting nope. into that because we shut the door on that. We're not talking about scores anymore. But it was just, it was a bias audit. I went to that winery to taste the wine just to see if if your review cut the muster. Because if it didn't, man, I would have been ready to go after you. And, and yep. you've, you've, you've raised eyebrows at me before yep. about certain scores that I've done. So, yeah, we have our personal biases that do leach its way into the writing. But Michael and I have done a, pr- a pretty good job where we're sort of each other's fail-safes. Yeah, we check each other to make sure. And, and we, we, I know I'm going to be a little bit higher sometimes than you. And you know you're going to be a little bit higher than me. I have a, bi- I have a bias for, uh, uh, for Gamay. Yep. Um, if well, I see somebody's making it, uh, like I immediately go, okay, I want to try it. Yep. Um, and I'm willing to give people the benefit of the doubt on a mediocre Gamay because I'd like to see more people in Gamay and doing it well. Look, if you would never give a good score to a bad wine. I know that. No, correct. But if you make a decent Gamay, um, I will probably give you a, a, a good score on your first attempt. But in your second attempt, if it's not better, um, and I can, I can say this honestly, I thought Taz... When they first made a Gamay, it was delicious. The first year they made it, I thought it was great. The second year, I thought it really was not that good. And you and I, I think, talked about it. And we disagreed on that, too. Yeah. But, but I mean, it it has been different every year because there's some years where... Of course, there's vintage variation. Listen... The, the but, wine, but the I wines, think, the I think their are, last version of Gamay was delicious. So there's no dis, there's no disagreeing that Taz is one of the the, the better wineries, no, certainly one of the best no wineries doubt. in the province. But I would say that their Gamay, unfortunately, is one of their most inconsistent wines. Correct, and I and I think that's that's the problem. And As opposed to a place like Malibor or even Thirteenth Street, uh, you have consistent and Chateau de Charme. You're getting I, consistently great Gamay every year. I I, th- I think Malibor, and I guess this is a bias comes in. I just know I'm going to like the Malivar Gamays. I just know it. Yep. I just it just it's just a matter of where they rank. Sometimes the small lot ranks the highest. Sometimes the Courtney is the highest. Uh, the Alive always sits right somewhere in the in the old middle section. But yep. I just know that when I go to Malivar, I'm going to love those Gamays. And until they make a stinker, I really am probably not going to shit on them for it. Well, and on the other side, too, just dealing with personal biases is um, when you taste, especially since we both focus so much on Ontario, I am not a fan of Ontario Syrah for the most part. Uh, I love having a good bottle in the house, Cassava, Creekside, both doing amazing things with, with Syrah, every vintage. But I'm not rushing out to buy these bottles. But when those bottles enter this house and I get the chance to review them, I need to know what a good bottle of Syrah tastes like. I need to know what a good bottle of Syrah from other regions tastes like, whether it's Australia or Cote Giron or BC or whoever else is growing Syrah and Shiraz. But it's not something that I'm rushing out to buy. That doesn't mean that I can't write about it or know what good Syrah tastes like. And, and, I, and I know that um, uh, I'm, 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 I know both of us are a big fan of, say, Derek Barnett. Yep. Okay, makes great wine. Um, and... Uh, I am just not a fan of his Syrah. I know that people love his Syrah. They go gaga for it. 
I just I'm never a big fan of it. I love his Franck. I think his Chardonnay. But you can understand why his Syrah is good Correct. and why I, people like it. I get and it. We know and we know that it's not but it's, it's not, not flawed winemaking. But it's hashtag not my wine. Yep. So and he's always the funny part is he's always after me to try to you gotta try it again. It's a year later, you gotta try it again. And I'm like, I'm still not a fan, but alright, I'll try it again. Because you know what? We're 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 both wine fans. Yep. And somebody puts a bottle of wine or a glass of wine in front of you, you're gonna taste it. Like, yep. let's be honest. That's that's the that's the, that really is the bottom line of being a wine writer. Yep. Is that no matter how bad it smells, no matter how much you didn't like it last time, yep. you're always willing to go back to it. And that brings me to thinking of um, uh, the Rennie Wine Company. G. I I tasted that four times before I was able to score it. I didn't think it was a good wine the first three times. Oh, I've always liked fourth that time, wine. Fourth time that I tried, I can't remember the vintage. It could have been the twelve. Uh, the fourth time I tried it, I was like you know what maybe this isn't a bad wine i've got a bottle in the cellar uh, i guess we're gonna see how it ages and let's see if it's a good wine. all right we got one more question i think so we got a couple actually so you've dissected the way you score wines how about what factors gets the wine in front of you to score or not to score i think we've already covered but that I with how bottles how bottles get to us yeah and yeah, it's a lot of unsolicited He also bottles. says that I have a three swear count in this podcast. Well, you have a higher standard, so I don't think you've sworn at all. I think I at least threw an S-bomb. Yeah, we got a couple. I got the timestamps written down. Got it. And then finally, um, one other thought. Do you get paid for any of this uh, as it's how you earn a living? Well, actually, <laughs> let's, let's be honest. Andre earns a living uh, uh, through... Uh, Belt Media, I'm a producer. I'm a radio producer for New Stock 1010 CFRB. I produce for Jim Richards and Evan Solomon. And um, wine writing is my side hustle. And I do a lot of things. I have, last count, about five different jobs that okay. I do, which includes writing. So it is not how I make a living. It's part of how I make a living. But wine uh, has taken over what I do. I, I inventory wine cellars. I, um, uh, do, wine I, I tours. do wine tours. Yep. So yeah, it's uh, wine. Well, let's is, just say, like wine, wine writing isn't as lucrative as people might think. Correct. And uh, we've we've sold advertising on this podcast um, yep. a handful of times. Yeah. And I if mean, let's face it, this podcast doesn't always sound squeaky squeaky clean in terms of audio quality, and that's straight up because we're working on a shoestring budget. This yeah. this podcast breaks even. If anyone wants to sponsor us, we could upgrade our equipment, and this would sound better. <laughs> But we, we can, and, and we'll do it at your home. Yeah, we'll absolutely do it at your home. Uh, we're always open to sponsorship inquiries, but I mean, one of the challenges that you and I both face is you and I are pretty picky about who we will take sponsorship Correct. dollars from. Um, I know on, on Andre Wine Review on my About page, I straight up say that I will not take advertising dollars from any specific winery because I want my reviews to be straight up unbiased. Yep. Uh, I have never written a review for money. Um and it is a practice that does exist whether certain people are admitting to it or not is another issue but people will get paid to provide content Correct. for companies and for wineries so i i have a similar i will i will take uh, a winery's um sponsor not sp sponsorship um but i do not guarantee good reviews i just you know if you want to if you want to advertise on my site that's great but i'm like look that does not guarantee you that you're going to get great reviews, and as you mentioned, there are people who do that, and that's that's a problem. It uh, is, and and the you know the videos I do are sponsored by glassware companies who really don't have a yep. a, a, a 
there's no conflict there. I, I drink from glasses, so that's... I mean, we, we recognize that we're kind of at an interesting point with this type of writing, whether it's travel writing, video game reviews, or, or wine writing, that most major publications just don't have the budget to keep people on staff as full-time Correct. wine yeah. writers. Uh, and it's tough to figure out where the money's coming from. And you know what? We... Uh, if if nobody hasn't figured it out yet, we do we do write a column together, in uh, Toronto Life. Yes, we do, and uh, none of those are paid for. We do we go to the vintages tastings. Yep. Uh, I've been getting a crash course in spirits, so I've been lucky enough to get some unsolicited yep. bottles of spirits sent to me. Uh, but yeah, check out TorontoLife.com, yep. and we have a couple of roundups coming out as long as they'll let us keep yeah, writing as them. As long as they keep us let us let us do them, we have a lot of fun doing it because uh, we do enjoy working together. Yeah. But we do work separately. Oh, Michael. Oh. Well, I mean, yeah. I mean, that, yeah, that's one point we've got to hammer across. We get a lot of people who will send us the unsolicited bottles. And like I said, I understand that there's a cost associated with them. I live in Toronto. Michael lives in St. Catharines. We do not taste wines together very often. So if you do want to send us something for review, it is better to send us the bottle separate. Correct. But if you, I, I would say this. If you do want us to taste them together, make note that you want them tasted for the podcast. How about yeah, that? And, and you can send them to Andre. You can send them to me as long as they say... We'd like you and Andre to taste this wine. We do get together, I would say, once a month. Yeah, probably maybe. more frequently than that. Probably more frequently. But uh, whenever I'm in Toronto, whenever you're in Niagara, I'm sure. It, I can't guarantee you it's going to be tasted within the week that you send it, but it will be tasted within a couple of months. You know, I actually feel relieved after answering all those questions. I, I, think, I think this was incredibly honest. And I know I'm kind of patting us ourselves on the back. But, I mean, I'm, I'm glad. If these are questions that listeners are, are thinking about, um, I mean, we don't have a Bible or Torah to swear on. But hold on. Wait a second. We do have a wine cork, and nothing is more sacred to wine writers than a cork or a bottle. So there well, you go. We can stick your we, hand on that. We, we swear that this is the truth. And nothing but the truth. Yep. So help me, Stratus. So subscribe to this podcast. Uh, if you want to let anyone else uh, behind the curtain of how the – Wacky World of Wine Writing works. I think we've done a pretty good job laying it out for you. And, uh, yeah, thanks uh, thanks to Greg for his, uh, his uh, seven questions. I guess that's what the title of this podcast will be. Seven Greg, questions. seven questions. Greg, seven questions. All right. I'm Andre Pru from underwinereview.ca. I don't think I said my website enough times in this podcast. No, you didn't. You should get it out there again. Underwinereview.ca. I'm Michael Pincus of MichaelPincusWineReview.com. Underwinereview.ca. MichaelPincusWineReview.com. AndreWineReview.ca. MichaelPincusWineReview.com. Good night! Thank God I got the last word in. Thanks for listening. Please subscribe to Two Guys Talking Wine on iTunes.